a pastor by the name of Ted Haggard, who had a megachurch in Colorado Springs, was caught in a lifestyle he was known to regularly preach against. After days of trying to cover it up, he starts admitting to his failures and then walks away from the church that God used him over many years to help build. Mark Sanford, former leader of South Carolina, known as South Carolina's Bible-thumping governor, who condemned Bill Clinton during the Monica Lewinsky scandal, gets caught in a scandal of his own. While telling his wife and state officials that he was off hiking the Arizona Trail, he is found off-trail with his lover in Argentina and used the taxpayers' money to get there. And just this last week, Ohio State football coach Jim Trestle was suspended and penalized for helping conceal stories about two of his players who were caught up in a federal drug trafficking case and the illegal sale of memorabilia. Now, these are three well-known Christian men. Three men is being seen as at the top of their game, full of wisdom, ruining not only their own lives, but damaging the lives of countless others around them. Now, with each of these three men, they wish nothing more than to be able to just turn back the clock, to be able to make more wise choices instead of the ones that seemed good at the time. And for the last few weeks, we have been walking verse by verse through the book of James in the series called Character References. We have been learning that this short book has a lot to say about how we live our lives, how we face trials, how we treat others, how we serve others. And we've been asking ourselves, if someone wrote a character reference about me, what would they say? What things would they mention? Would they mention how I face trials or how I treat other people? Would they mention integrity? Would they have a reason to? You know, when it comes to integrity, truth be told, there would be plenty of reasons why each one of us could and should be added onto the list with those three men. Am I right? We've all failed. We've all made our share of dumb decisions when we thought we were making the best decision for our lives at the time, only in hindsight to wish that we had been a little bit smarter, a little bit wiser, and listened to God a little more carefully. Today, as we unpack six little verses sandwiched right in the middle of the book of James about wisdom, what we will find out is that wisdom has a lot more to say about how we live out our lives, a lot more than, what it's, than it's speaking about how much we really know. Ultimately, it's the message of the entire book of James in a sentence. Live out what you believe. Live out what you believe. Let's see what it says. We just read it from the message paraphrase, but let me just read you the first few verses of that from the New Living Translation. It says, If you are wise and understand God's ways, live a life of steady goodness so that only good deeds will pour forth. And if you don't brag about the good you do, then you will be truly wise. But if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your hearts, don't brag about being wise. That's the worst kind of lie. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and motivated by the devil. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every kind of evil. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we open up your word today and look at this issue of integrity, I pray that you would just speak loudly and clearly into our lives. Lord, I pray that with each one of us that you would just clear off of our minds and our hearts those things that would distract us in this moment, the the many things we have to get done, 
the people we are concerned about that we love the most. Help us, Lord, to just focus our entire attention upon you for these few moments of time and what you would have to say to us. In Christ's name, amen. Now, in verse 13, James is reiterating to his listeners who is really wise and who isn't. Who would have wisdom put down as a character reference by someone else and who wouldn't, so to speak. Now, what's interesting here is that he doesn't connect wisdom with how smart people are, how old people are, how high they have climbed the corporate ladder. He's pointing out the obvious but painful truth, isn't he? And what James would say to, his, say to us today is that people aren't going to know you to be wise based on how many degrees you have or where they come from. He's saying it doesn't matter how many letters you can tack on to the end of your last name or what title you can put underneath your name on your business card. He's even saying that it's not about how much money you make or how much influence you have on other people. It's not even about how smart you sound or how good the advice is that you give. He goes back to the same point he's been driving home throughout the book of James. He says, you want to know something about being wise and understanding? You want to be, you want to be known at the end of your life as being a truly wise person? Someone who has set a good example? And I'll let you in on a little secret, James would say. The best way to do that is this. In humility, live out what you believe. That's it. That's all you got, James, we might say. Just live out a life of integrity and be humble about it. Yep, that's it. Come on, we instinctively know this to be true, right? If you're struggling in your marriage and you want some help, are you going to look to some hotshot psychologist who... He's written a lot of books, but he's currently working on marriage number four. Or are you going to look to the unassuming couple who you've seen in church for 50 years, holding each other's hands and walking the walk faithfully year after year after year? You're going to look to the couple who has shown themselves through hands-on experience. The ones who humbly and faithfully have modeled Christ to each other and have stood the test of time. Now, this psychologist may have written a really good book about the seven keys to successful marriage, and it may have sold thousands of copies. But if you're like me, you might say, yeah, that's fine. That's good. But that couple over there, they've lived it. In the message paraphrase of verse 13, it says, it's the way you live, not the way you talk that counts. It's the difference between talking the talk and walking the walk. That's integrity. And of course, as James is saying here, you can't separate integrity from humility. They're integrally linked. You can't respect someone. You can't see someone as living a Christian life with integrity who is a braggart and who doesn't admit to his own personal failures. We all have failures. And the moment we try to deny them or even hide them, we instantly destroy the credibility we're trying to build for ourselves, don't we? Some of the greatest lessons we can teach others with our lives will come after the fact as we humbly admit our mistakes and show, not with words, but with consistency over time, a life lived much differently. Along the same lines of marriage, one of the most humbling times of my life was when my wife and I separated for a time five years ago. Now, I could blame her, I could blame our circumstances all I wanted, but Ultimately, I had to come to a point of humbly owning up to my own mistakes and learning from them by learning to do marriage differently. And as awful as this may sound, I wouldn't trade those dark days of my life for anything in this world. 
See, the wisdom I took from that horrible situation could have never been learned in a book or a conference, right? Wisdom came from experience and, for me, the hard way. And walking the walk with loads of humility. And no doubt many of you have stories like mine, and perhaps some of them are even as bad as, as mine. But the, the question is, are you willing to live life differently as a result of that experience? Do you see humility and integrity in your life today? As this passage goes on in chapter 4, the issue of humility is dealt with even more. And so, but I want to save that for Pastor Dwayne next week as we dig into humility a bit more and just focus today on this one aspect of integrity. And what I want to get across, and if you don't get anything else I have to say today, please just get this. People who are wise, people who are truly make an impact for God, aren't necessarily the people who know the most about the Bible. They're not even the people who can quote it and can share everything about their lives uh, with Christ with other people and lead them to Christ. Those things are all good and very important. But they mean very little if there isn't a foundation underneath of integrity. Hear me, the greatest single impact you can have on your life is a life of integrity. A life where you live out what you believe even when it comes to great personal cost. Because wisdom is more caught than taught. It's more lived out than learned. Going to Bible studies is great. Serving at the church and in the community is great. But if you do all that and underneath you're not seen by others as living a life of integrity, you're in essence shooting yourself in the foot as well as the message of God that you're trying to proclaim. You know, a few days ago, I asked the Facebook community what integrity meant. Specifically, uh, some, of, some of you and a few others I know around the country chimed in. Joyce Vogt here from Hope shared, she said, To me, integrity is complete alignment between words and actions. People with integrity can be trusted. Now, the word integrity comes from the same Latin word where we get these English words integer, which is a whole number, integral, which means necessary to make whole or complete, and even integrate, which means to combine together to make whole. Someone with integrity, in other words, isn't divided or living a double life. It's someone who seeks to live out to the best of his or her ability the whole teaching of God's Word, not just selected parts. And it's doing so regardless of the circumstances. Several of you and others shared things like, it's doing the right thing no matter the consequence. To do the right thing in spite of your loss, even if it is hard and sacrificial, and you're the one who will ultimately get hurt. You know, as I see it, there are three different types of integrity, and that's what I want to just focus on speaking about today. And the first one is the most common, and that is conditional integrity, if you're looking in your notes. Conditional integrity is basically integrity... When it suits us, we might also call it compartmentalized integrity because it's when we compartmentalize all parts of our lives and say, you know what, this part of my life, different rules here. I, I know I know this isn't what God teaches, but I know what I'm doing. Really, conditional integrity is no integrity at all, because routinely separating any part of our lives from God's plan for us isn't wholeness. It isn't integrated. In fact, it's the opposite of integrity. You guys, what is the most common word that's used for the opposite of integrity? You hear it all the time. Non-Christians say it about Christians frequently. Oh, those Christians are all just a bunch of hypocrites, right? You know, in fact, that word is a Greek word 
that was used in Jesus' day to just mean actor. These ancient Greeks would do plays as live performances, and they basically walk around stage with masks tied to sticks. And whatever character they were wanting to portray, they would hold up that mask with that stick, and they would act that part. And then when they needed to change into someone else, and they would quickly hide that mask and hold up a different one. So they were called hypocrites. It's the story of King Saul in the Old Testament. King Saul was the first king of Israel. And we see throughout the book of 1 Samuel how Saul chose to follow God only when it suited his own agenda for his life. Over and over again. I was checking this week through the book of 1 Samuel. Chapter 13, chapter 19, 22, 23, 28. As time goes on, rather than seeking wisdom and turning from his conditional integrity, Saul over and over again became all the more determined to be the personal exception to the rules. Even after God removes his hand from him and asks Samuel to anoint David as king, Saul refuses to yield his will to God's. It sounds like a strange thing to do, a dumb thing to do even, yet it's exactly the thing that we find ourselves doing when it comes to integrity. We seek to follow God in all areas of our lives except that one over there. It's the compartmentalized life. It's the life of conditional integrity. Do I pay my bills? Of course I pay my bills. What person wouldn't pay their bills? Oh, those things I left off my taxes this time? Well, that's okay. In, in my situation this time, they're getting way more out of me than they need to anyway. I'm sure, I'm sure they won't miss it. I'm doing what I think is right. Shoplifting? No, no, no. That's for deadbeats and movie stars, not for me. What? You mean those songs? Those TV shows and those movies that I downloaded online for free, is that legal? Yeah, well, everybody's doing that. You know what? That's kind of a gray area. I don't want to be legalistic about it anyway. Besides, they got plenty of money. They're not going to miss it. Am I honest? Am I an honest person? Oh, absolutely. Oh, my resume? Those, en- those enhancements? Is that the truth? Well, sort of. Conditional integrity. You know, I was talking with Doug Ellis, who was just up here a minute ago with Barb, a couple of weeks ago. You know, he applied to this job as the general manager of an air conditioning company in Tempe just, to, just recently. And they ran extensive background checks on Doug. Go figure, right? Uh, well, they ran these extensive background checks on Doug. And the guy who owned the business called him back several days later and said, You know what, Doug? I'm really kind of puzzled. He says, I have checked... Everything out on your resume, beginning to end. I have done extensive phone calls, background checks. And he said, you didn't fudge on a single thing on your resume. He said, that's kind of odd, isn't it, don't you think? And Doug said, uh, is it? I don't, I don't think so. And he said, you know what? I have, he says, every time I have done extensive background checks, I've always found something where it's been stretched. He says, this is the first one I've ever seen that hasn't been. A few days later... Doug was offered the job. Now, we can justify our lack of integrity with earthly wisdom, as James talks about in verses 15 and 16. We can give all the world's reasons why it's okay in my case to be an exception to the rules and stretch things just a little. We may even go as far as to argue against God with earthly wisdom and justify our behavior or lifestyle as okay. You know, I believe the Bible. I believe it's right in everything except this one area right here. I just don't think that's right. I think God was wrong there. Or the Bible had an error in it or something. You know, in this past year, God has really been dealing with me personally on an area and pointing it out to me as one of personal integrity. 
And it's one I would never have even considered until recently. It has to do with the purchases I make. A little over a year ago, after I started finding out about the human trafficking issue, I realized that some of the products that I had been buying, even some of the brands that I like or are at a really good price, are some of the very ones that are made by slave labor. Yeah, I started reading, you know, I'm, I'm one of these analytical guys who researches everything to death. Yeah, I started re- reading some reports online after Googling about certain companies in Africa and Asia that forced men and women and oftentimes even children to work in deplorable conditions as, as some of the situations you saw in that video earlier. Young boys ages six, 12 to 16 in the Ivory Coast sold into slave labor on cocoa farms for the chocolate that ends up in our grocery stores. Children of poor families in Uzbekistan forced into a life of picking cotton and in Bangladesh sewing the cotton into clothes that I was wearing on my back. Companies in the United States that have been been purchasing items like these and others for years, knowing what was going on and even when it starts to leak out in the media, refusing to do anything about it because the profits are so much better when the goods can be made so cheap. You know, I have tried to excuse this so many times in, in the last several months, and I have wrestled with it. Trying to, I've told God everything from, I can't do anything about it, this is way too big for me, this is above my pay grade, I can, I can make any bit of a difference with a little bit of stuff that I buy. But really, at least for me, God just won't let this one go. For me, it's an integrity issue, and He's just making me deal with it. You know, I was selectively deciding to get what I wanted from the company I wanted when I wanted it, even when there was no longer any doubt in my mind what was going on. You know, this, I would like to tell you I've, I've arrived, and this isn't a personal struggle for me anymore, but I'd be lying through my teeth. This, for me, this is still a struggle, particularly when I realize that the closest thing to it that I'm trying to buy is way more expensive somewhere else. But you know, God really hit me one day when he asked me, David, what's your integrity worth? Is it worth a few dollars that you're going to save? Conditional integrity. You want to be truly wise? Live out what you believe. Doesn't matter who sees it. Doesn't matter how hard or inconvenient it is. If you want to be wise, if you want your life to count for something, it's not about how much you know about the Bible. It's not about how much you serve, although those are great things. It's about basically how you live out what you've learned. It's about walking the walk. James 4.8 speaks to this double-mindedness or lack of integrity when he says, Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Anyone who can and does routinely act out of two different minds lacks integrity. Now, again, James isn't speaking here to perfection. None of us can be, nor should we try to act like we are. That's where the humility comes in. What James is speaking to here, though, is a mindset. A mindset where we continue to block God's voice out of an area of our lives and convince ourselves that, oh yeah, that, well, that really doesn't apply here to me. Or, well, that's a, that's a really gray area. I don't want to be legalistic. But if God is speaking to you about it today, can you ignore it? Do you even want to? Another sort of integrity that is equally as dangerous is what I call confident integrity. In your notes, it's the place we get to when we we have done the right thing so consistently for so long. We've routinely made all the hard calls and we think ourselves to kind of arrived at a place where we're beyond moral failure. 
One blogger I was reading online referred to these type of people as the untouchables. The people who believe that their success, their following all the rules, has made them immune to failure. We start to say to ourselves, yeah, I think I've got this thing down. Integrity, honesty, yeah, I think I can check that one off the list. I think I've, I've proven myself now. Confident integrity. Paul warned us about it in 1 Corinthians 10:12 when he said, So, if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. The message words it this way. I love this. It says, don't be so naive and self-confident. You're not exempt. You could fall flat on your face just as easily as anyone else. Forget about self-confidence. It's useless. Cultivate God confidence. It's an integrity that is loosely held and easily lost because we start to assume that our integrity is based entirely on our own abilities. And therein lies the danger as we become so confident that when we are tempted, we start to fall and we don't even realize that we're falling. It's the story of the Pharisees and religious teachers of the law that Jesus condemned and called what? Hypocrites. Look at Matthew 23, verse 25. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first wash the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will become clean too. And then in verse 28, outwardly it says you look like, religious pe- look like righteous people, but inwardly your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. In other words, you play actors, Jesus was saying, stop putting on a game face. You're so proud of how good you are that you, you're totally missing it. He actually goes on, if you notice there, to call them blind Pharisees because they didn't even see it. They were so blinded by their own sense of goodness that they didn't know what was happening deep within them. It's the story of Ted Haggard and countless others so confident in our own righteousness that we can't see the erosion, erosion happening in our own soul until the moment it's exposed and we have no way to ignore it any longer. As I said a little bit earlier, someone with conditional integrity knows what they're doing. They just don't care. They're, convicted, they're convinced in their mind that it's okay and it, and it doesn't apply to them. But someone with confident integrity, like we're talking about here, are the ones who are so confident in ourselves that we don't realize the hole we're digging for ourselves until it's exposed by God to the light. Now, what I have found is that these tricks, oftentimes the enemy will use opportunities to kind of trick us into thinking that things are of God that aren't necessarily of him. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's the thing that you've been waiting for, hoping for, even praying for, for for so long. It's the thing that you've needed in the store or the job promotion that you've hoped for or that job opportunity that has finally come along after months and months of unemployment that just looks like a great way to earn some quick extra money. That looks great, except for that little earned inside. You know what I mean? That uh, 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 uh. We find ourselves saying, yes, finally, thank you. This must be God. This is, this is an answer to my prayers. And then you get that, uh, because this little thing is going on inside of you that you know isn't quite right. You know, Teresa and I love to watch this show, Locked Up Abroad. I don't know if any of you have ever seen this. It's a show that tells the true stories about Americans getting in prison for extended periods of time in a foreign country. And it's a really interesting show. I love to watch it. But as I've watched several episodes, there's kind of a predictable plot 
90% of them had the same storyline to them. I'll tell you what it is. Some poor schmuck gets approached by this person that develops a friendship with him and says, Hey, you know what? You have, I have just really enjoyed my friendship with you. I want to give you something. You know what? I have a free one-week trip to, you name the country that's ha- that has, is full of drugs, Peru, Colombia, Philippines, whatever it is. I've got this opportunity that a good friend has given me, and, and I can't make it, but I would love for you to have it because you've been such a good personal friend. Catch? No, no, not really. Well, well, there is this little thing. This, the guy that's offering it, he says he just needs you to, to smuggle in a few ounces of cocaine in your suitcase. But hey, hey, don't worry. It's just a few ounces. And he'll sew it up inside your suitcase. He'll even, he could even tape it really well to your chest. You know, he'll mask the smell of the packages, inside the packages with coffee or salsa or God knows what. Dogs in the airport will never, never know that it's there. Has he been, oh no, he's never been caught. He's done this thousands of times. No one has ever gotten caught. Right. You do him this little favor and he said, oh, you know, he said, since you're going down there and you're going to be there for a week, he just, he thought he'd give you a couple of extra thousand bucks. Just enjoy yourself. You probably won't be able to go back to Peru again. Have some fun. You know, he wants to give you some money. And oh, yeah, by the way, you, know, you were telling me about your mom who had all those operations and needed $20,000 to pay off her medical bills. I know you've been really stressed about that. I've just been, it's just, it's really been on my heart. I told him about it and he said, you know what? He'd be glad, if, for you, if you do this favor for him, he'd be glad to give you that $20,000 just so you could have a fresh start. Now, with every one of these stories, as crazy as this sounds, there always comes a point in the story where the person finally says, has the little earned moment where they say, you know what? That whole taping dope onto my chest, walking through the airport, probably not a good idea. But it was such a good opportunity and you know what? This will give me a chance to get back on my feet. This must be God. Must be. And then they find themselves stuck in prison del Diablo for the next 15 years saying, stupid, stupid. What was I thinking? Looked good at the time. Looked like it was an answer to prayers from God. If I would have just paid attention to that little voice. David found himself in a similar situation in 1 Samuel 24. In the first four verses, it explains how David was hiding in a cave from King Saul for his life. Why? Because King Saul, the man who had no real integrity that we talked about earlier, had taken 3,000 of the men of Israel in the army and was systematically going through the country trying to find David, hunting him down because they want, he wanted to kill him. Because he had found out that Saul, Samuel had anointed David king over Israel and taken it away from Saul. And then it just so happened, just so happened, that Saul stopped alone to go into the same, very same cave that David and his men were hiding in to relieve himself. You know, go read the paper. Finally, David's golden opportunity to end it all. Get rid of Saul, stop living like a bandit, and take over the leadership of Israel that God had promised. Except there was a the little urnt inside there. You know that, that whole thou shalt not murder thing? You know, David could have said... Yeah, but he's trying to kill me. And there's 3,000 men out there somewhere trying to hunt me and my guys down. Self-defense, right? You know, David has a few guys with him. And in the passage, it says they're basically saying to him, Dude, what are you waiting for? Whack the guy. If you don't, I will. And David thinks about it and says, No, no, something just can't be. This just can't be God. David instantly realized everything that looks like a God thing, that feels like a God thing, 
that is even suggested by others to be a God thing doesn't necessarily make it a God thing. David ended up saying, the Lord forbid that I would do such a thing. He weighed the opportunity against God's word and said, nope, this isn't God. An open door isn't necessarily always an invitation from God. Not when it compromises God's laws, God's principles, God's wisdom. Now David waits and through waiting, his situation later turned out far better than if he would have been crowned king by killing his predecessor. What opportunities do you have before you right now? Have you had one that looked really good except for that little uh, inside? That little uh, 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 uh. In those moments of our lives, we have to remember to weigh every opportunity against God's word. We, we have to give the right to, to godly people, not the people who just say anything we want to hear in our lives to make us happy, but the right godly people. We have to give them a place in our lives to speak into our lives and share those opportunities with and then listen to their counsel. And in the end, we have to decide every day that we will not sacrifice integrity for personal progress. But Pastor Dave, you don't understand, this promotion is going to be such a great opportunity. They're going to double my salary. That means I'll be able to double what I give to God's work. I I know some of the stuff they do isn't quite on the up and up. But you know what? I'm a man of integrity. I can figure it out. I can figure out that challenge when the time comes. Confident integrity. Danger, danger. I can remember one of these times when God caught me in one of these moments. I was, it was 11 or 12 years ago when I was in seminary and I was in Greek class. Oh, how much I love that. Um, it, was, but it, was, it was a time when I was, we were supposed to take the final exam. And the professor had this brilliant idea because he loved to lecture on Greek and he ran out of time. And he thought, you know what? I can just give you the final exam in, in, a, Seth, in a, a single envelope and let you take it home with you. And you can study he tells the whole class this. You can take this sealed envelope home. You can study all you want. Then close your book, set them aside, open up your test and take it and then turn it back in next week. Come on. Seminary students, give me a break. They're not any better. So I'm, I'm studying like crazy because this is the final and I really want to make a good grade in this. And I know how much I struggle with this area of Greek and all this stuff that they're trying to teach me. So I study real hard. I finally get my, to a point where I feel really good about it. I close my books, put them away, open up the test, and realize, oh, no. He's totally focused on the one area that I forgot to study on. So I quickly close the thing, put it aside, say, oh, oh, what am I going to do now? Well, I need to study. So I pull out my books, and I start studying again, trying to memorize all this stuff that I was supposed to memorize. I said, okay, I feel good now. I can go back to the test. So I put my books away, because if I did open book, that'd be cheating. So I put my books away, and then I open up my test, and I take the test. And I do really good on this test, you know. So I, and I turn it in, I get it back, get a good grade. And then as soon as I get that paper in my hand, God is just hammering me across the head, saying, David, what are you doing? So I constantly smile, go home, and I ignore God. God does not let me off the hook for days. I can't sleep. I can't do anything. God just won't let me off the hook. So I finally go back to, to I finally give my professor a call. His name was Tom. I said, Tom, I, I need to talk to you. So I go into his office and I go talk to him. I say, I hand him back the exam and I say, you know what? I cheated. And he just looks at me and he's stunned. He's like, what do I do with this guy? He'd never had this happen before. So he says, you know what? And he's, I can tell he's getting a little angry. And he says, you know what? I really need to give you a zero right now on this final. And I'm just putting my head down. He says, but you know what? 
I need to go home and I need to pray about this, he said. <laughs> so he goes home, he prays about it, and then he calls me back and he says, you know, I'm, I, you, I, I'm just going to dock several points off of your grade and we're going to move on. I'm just, I'm just glad that you were able to admit this. I, think, I know this was an integrity issue for you and we'll just move on. Now, for me, when that whole thing happened, I was in shock because I was expecting an F in the, in the class and I honestly, I totally deserved it. And I didn't end up with a very good grade, but at least it wasn't an F. But you know what? Even though that was the worst grade of any course I ever took in seminary, I am more proud of that grade than all the other A's that I made that no one will ever know or even care about. So let me ask you, what is your integrity worth to you? Is it worth an A? Is it worth a couple of thousand dollars on your tax return? The $20 the lady in the store accidentally overpaid you in change? Maybe it's worth the ream of paper from the office that you took home to use in your home printer. Or the 99 cents that would have cost for that song on iTunes that you ripped off of a friend's CD. Or the extra 10% that you added on, that you padded onto your expense report because, hey, they owe me that money anyway. Ultimately, how much does your relationship with God mean to you? You see, the best way to live out your faith isn't by how much you share, how much you share Jesus with other people, although that's important. It's not about how many sermons you hear, although that's great and I'm glad you're listening. It's about you living out what you believe. Because really, wisdom is more caught than taught. It's more lived than learned. If we want to be wise, we have to live a life of consistent integrity. That's the last type of integrity, obviously, and the one that God favors, as you'll see in your notes. Consistent integrity. So as we look back, we have the conditional integrity where we decide what is best and we decide when to make exceptions for ourselves. There's the confident integrity where we become overly confident in our own abilities to make right decisions. And we may even jump out at a really good-looking opportunity without paying enough attention to the uh, inside. But the only integrity that means anything in God's eyes or even in the eyes of the world, for that matter, is consistent integrity. Again, not perfection. It's not an unattainable goal. It's one that considers the traps of the other two and decides, you know what, I don't want to go to those other two places. There is, it's not something I want to dabble with. It's not worth it. It's a type of integrity, though, that sooner or later always stands out in a crowd as being a little bit different. It's the one that's made fun of by everyone else who isn't consistent in their own integrity. It's the one that trusts God and says, no thanks, even when the opportunity seems so good that you'd be a fool to pass it up. It's the integrity that Job had when he was being hit by so many trials and losses in his life that even his wife looked at him and said, are you still trying to maintain your integrity? Just curse God and die. Job said, till I die, I will not deny my integrity. That's all I have. I will maintain my righteousness and never let go of it. He wasn't trying to make himself any better than he was. But that's the only thing I've got left. I'm going to hold on to that. Wow, that, that's an integrity that I want to model my life after. How about you? In closing, you might say, well, David, really, what's the point of all this consistent integrity? Is it really worth it in the end? Oh, let me tell you, it is so worth it. You know, James has already given us one reason when, it's, when he was speaking about having wisdom in this passage. But let me just share with you four others that I found in Scripture. 
The first is you can walk closely with God. Psalm 15 verses 1 to 2 say, O Lord, who may stay in your tent? Who may live on your holy mountain? The one who walks with integrity, does what is righteous, and speaks the truth within his heart. Ultimately, all the stuff, all the opportunities in the world pale in comparison to that. The second is you'll have a built-in guide. Proverbs 11.3 says, The integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. A third reason, if you're looking at your notes, is that you'll have a constant peace in your heart. And I don't know if this means anything to you, but it has been to me over the years, through trial and error, to have that constant peace. To know that when I put my head down on my pillow every night, that I don't have to have all these thoughts racing through my mind of, "Mm, I wonder if they're going to find out. What if I get caught? What if my boss finds out? I could lose my job. What if my wife finds out about her? That one night stand, those images on the internet, what would happen? You see, with consistent integrity, there's none of that. You can go to bed every night and be at peace. Psalm 34:14 says, turn your back on sin, do something good, embrace peace, don't let it get away. And four, you'll gain trust, respect, honor, and influence. If you want great children, be a man of integrity. A woman of integrity. If you want to be influential in the business community, be a person of your word. Even when it hurts you and everyone notices it. Or when they don't even notice it. If you want to impact many others' lives and inspire them to follow Christ, be a person of integrity. Learn as much as you can about how to live the Christian life by all means. Attend Bible studies, be at church every Sunday to worship, and be challenged by God's word. But in the end... No one will remember you by how many Bible studies you went to or how much scripture you knew and could quote. In the end, the greatest single impact you can make in the lives of those you care about will come from living a life of consistent integrity. What is your integrity worth to you? Or as James would say, will you live out what you believe? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for speaking to us on this aspect of integrity. You know, it's one of those areas where every one of us, including myself, struggle on an ongoing basis. Because the enemy, as Dwayne was sharing with us weeks ago, has this designer bait. The enemy knows what areas to push our buttons and to tempt us. And Lord, none of us are immune from that. But Lord, I pray that in the coming days and weeks that you will remind us of what James has to say about integrity and wisdom. And Lord, that you would challenge us in every situation, no matter how small or how great, to take the high road, to take the road of integrity, even when it costs us. In Christ's name, amen.